Hello and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby and I'm the recruiting manager here at the firm and a producer of this podcast along with Devin Benjamin, our podcast content manager. I'm pleased to introduce today's host, John Muckle. John is a partner at Isaacson Miller and serves on the firm's executive committee. In addition, he co-leads the science, technology, and society practice area for the firm, building scientific capacity at many leading academic institutions. He also has engaged in a number of the firm's most recent university president and provost searches. Our guest today is Dr. Lisa Culey, director of the Center for Astrophysics, a collaboration between Harvard and Smithsonian designed to ask and ultimately answer humanity's greatest unresolved questions about the nature of the universe. In her role, Dr. Culey oversees about 800 Harvard and Smithsonian staff in eight scientific divisions across the department's nine major scientific facilities and institutes. A world-renowned leader in the theoretical modeling and observation of star forming and active galaxies, Dr. Culey's seminal contributions include understanding the gas physics in star-forming galaxies, investigating galaxies containing actively accreting supermassive black holes, and tracing the star formation and oxygen history of galaxies over the past 12 billion years. We are thrilled to have you, Dr. Culey, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to John. Thank you, Rhett. Lisa, it's so wonderful to speak with you again, and thank you for joining us. When we last spoke, I think I was connecting with you in Australia, and you were preparing for your transition to the U.S. from your position as director of Astro 3D and as a professor at the Australian National University. And it's been a busy time in in astrophysics. Maybe to start, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your transition and what that's been like. And I'm very curious to know if there are major differences as you've come to the U.S. and running a research center here Have there been any surprises or things that are different about operating in this environment? Yeah, sure. So the transition uh, was fairly gradual. Uh, While my visa was processing, I started doing executive meetings here because the former director had stepped down uh, earlier. And so there was a six-month period where we had uh, a couple of deputies set up and the deputies needed uh, some information and also decisions on, on items. And so we did have monthly management meetings while I was still in Australia. And then when I started the role formally in July, uh, then I moved over to the US. And I'd say the transition has been um, quite smooth. So the role here, although it's a larger number of people, it's 800 people compared to the 300 people that I was managing in Australia, uh, it's. I would say that the skills and expertise that, that I'd, I'd built over the years and that I was using in my directorship role in Australia were were exactly the same and the correct skills and expertise needed for the job here. So it's more people, but the work is is basically the same. And uh, I was not really surprised um, about the organisation and uh, what's needed to be done here over the coming years. Uh, I I knew a lot of staff here already because I had spent some time here back when I was a a postdoctoral research scholar. 
and I'd kept in touch with with members of of the department over time. Astronomy is a fairly small field, and a lot of people tend to know each other. Uh, so it's been a I would say it's been a smooth transition. It's, it's very busy in the first year of a new directorship role, and I, I would say that's normal for for any job, especially when you want to inter- implement changes and you need to hire new staff and put together an executive management team but um, fairly smooth and, and I had a lot of support from across the organisation, both within the organisation as well as uh, within Harvard and Smithsonian at the senior executive levels as well. And so it's it's been a very rewarding experience and um, it's, it's great to just be here on the ground and implementing my vision for the place. Wonderful. Thank you. Lisa, I wonder if we might talk a little bit about, about you for a minute You've had a remarkable career in science. I wonder if you could take us back to where your passion for learning and understanding more about our universe began. So when I was a kid, uh, I was always very interested in science and I used to read these books called Tell Me Why, which had all sorts of questions in them and I pored over them for for years. Um, My father is a scientist and so I I think I had a science bug a little bit from him. What got me interested in astronomy was I was in a bookstore one day and I saw a, a book which had images from the Hubble Space Telescope of galaxies in it. And, and they just looked beautiful, just beautiful, and I, would, I wanted to understand them. And so I went at that time, I was in high school, and I went to my high school physics teacher and I said, oh, I, I really like astronomy. And, and he loved astronomy. He had his own telescope. We did uh, experiments in, in our physics classes with the telescopes. And, and he used to bring me magazine articles about black holes and wormholes and all sorts of cool things to read. And so that's really what got me excited by, by astronomy. And, um, and here I am today. That's wonderful. That connects to one of my questions, which is about the James Webb uh, Space Telescope. And you can't talk about astrophysics and astronomy today without talking about the breathtaking images that we're all getting to see. I recently heard a story from a family that was talking about how they sit down to dinner and talk about the images that were released that day. Um, it's igniting a lot of curiosity with people uh, in the general public, as well as I'm sure in your community. Can you talk a little bit about the space telescope or other new advances in astronomy that are pushing the frontiers of discovery and learning? Yeah, absolutely. So we were all incredibly excited and um uh, happy when the James Webb Space Telescope launched and was working correctly. I think all astronomers were sitting on the edges of our seats while <laughs> while it was launching, and then waiting to see the the first data sets uh, because there's so many things that have to go right to get it to launch a space telescope and get it to unfold and and then produce the data and have it be communicated back to Earth. Everything ha- has to happen correctly. And so it was just remarkable. And what we found was that those those data come from the James Webb were much better than than we even thought initially. You know, it's more sensitive. It's it's producing 
um, data from, you know, the very distant objects in the universe, which could be the first galaxies in the universe. And it's, it's producing data from extrasolar planets. And we're really trying to understand what the composition of those planets is. And so there's a, there's a tremendous excitement across many different areas of astrophysics, which has been triggered by the James Webb. And so it's a very exciting time to be in astronomy. Um, here at the Centre for Astrophysics, we're also operating the Chandra uh, satellite and the Chandra data centre, and that's still producing X-ray data in space as well. So it's an incredible time because we have an X-ray, uh, you know, major flagship X-ray satellite up there as well as the James Webb Space Telescope, and this enables some really great science uh, with, with both of the telescopes. And, and then another thing that's been tremendously exciting this, this particular year has been the, the Event Horizon Telescope and the discovery of, of the, um, you know, the accretion disk around the black holes. We can actually see it for the first time. And uh, this is something that's been predicted for a long time. And uh, so those were tremendous discoveries. And they were made by joining up radio telescopes from all around the world. And so in the future, we actually are about to launch two more uh, satellites. They're called Tempo and Methane Sat. And these, instead of looking out, we're going to look in to our Earth and we're going to be monitoring the pollution and the methane in the, um, the Earth's atmospheres. And so these are, this is a new, new step for us at the Centre for Astrophysics and really something where we, we want to help society and help, help humanity. Wonderful. So during the course of the search at the CFA, the big talk was the Astro 2020 report, which at that time had not yet been released. Um, and this is obviously a very influential study guiding major investments in the field. It's since then been released. And I wonder if you could talk about what are some of the things that are on the horizon and what the CFA is thinking about in light of that report and its recommendations. Yeah, so we were uh, eagerly anticipating the release of Astro 2020. Uh, I had seen it a little bit earlier because I'd reviewed it, but um, it's got recommendations for all areas of, of astrophysics and it's got recommendations for ground-based telescopes as well as space-based telescopes. And so for ground-based telescopes, the major recommendation is for uh, the next generation telescopes. So this is the 20 to 30 metre ground-based telescopes to be supported. And this is something that's absolutely critical. We're really at the limit of our technology that we can do with the ground-based telescopes. We can't put giant mirrors up into space. And however, we can build larger telescopes on the ground. And this is really it's really to push boundaries in our understanding of our origins. We really want to understand the first stars in the universe, the first galaxies, how did they form, what was the, what was the chemical composition and how did that evolve with time. And we also want to understand uh, where extrasolar planets are that might harbour life. And to look for things like molecular oxygen, we really need to uh, have these these largest telescopes on, on Earth to do that. And so that was one of the major recommendations. And we are at the CFA partner in the Giant Magellan Telescope. So Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory is a partner and the Harvard College Observatory is also a partner. And this is this is you know tremendous for for our organisation, but also it's a worldwide, it's an international 
partnership. And we're building three instruments for that telescope. And in particular, we're building an instrument called GCLEF, which is a, a high resolution spectrograph imager. And this will aim to detect the oxygen, molecular oxygen in extrasolar planets. And that's why it's being built. And so we're, there's a, it's a tremendously exciting time. And we're looking forward to, to that telescope um, being funded and, and built. Uh, in in space-based astronomy, the recommendation was for a ultraviolet optical infrared space telescope to come online. We have the James Webb right now. That's going to be followed by a telescope called the Nancy Grace Roman Telescope, another infrared telescope. And then there's this proposed uh, ultraviolet optical infrared telescope. And then beyond that, they propose the, the Astro 2020 have proposed an X-ray uh, flagship satellite as well as a far infrared flagship satellite and we've been putting in we're proposing an x-ray satellite as part of that program uh, so so we're we're heavily engaged in helping to to deliver on the recommendations within the astro 2020 it sounds like we are on the cusp of some very exciting discoveries what has you most excited about what some of these technologies and the research at places like the CFA will help us uncover in the next decade? Uh, so I'm, I'm tremendously excited about the the science that we're going to be able to uncover. So, for example, uh, we're, we're really trying to look at, at black holes the physics of black holes, how did gas get into the black holes, how did they form, how did they evolve. Uh, the Lynx X-ray satellite mission that, that we are going to be proposing is aims to discover the seeds. Before black holes formed, there were seeds. And, so we, and then we want to understand how does a supermassive black hole within galaxies interact with those surrounding gas and, and in the galaxies themselves. And we, we need to understand how galaxies like our own Milky Way formed and evolved across cosmic time, and how did our how did our Earth form and evolve, and how did stars like our Sun and our own solar system how did they form and evolve, and you know how, how unique are we really? I think those are the really big questions. It really comes down to our origins. Uh, it, it, the most exciting parts of the universe, black holes, gravitational waves, um, and then our origins, you know, right after the Big Bang, what happened and, and how did stars and galaxies form and evolve to become the, the galaxies and the, the ecosystem that we have around us today. So, Lisa, um, maybe I'll shift us to talking about your leadership for a moment and to talk about as director, what are your aspirations for the CFA? Um, it's early goings, and I'm sure you're still learning uh, and listening and coming up with those plans, but are there any early indications of things that are going to be uh, key priorities for you? Yeah, so we, we've always had a, a large space program, so continuing to lead in space astronomy is one of our key priorities. And then we also are expanding our uh, ground-based telescope capabilities, particularly in the, the, the radio 
wavelengths and uh, in fact we're a partner in a Greenland telescope with Asia A which is one of our very good partners and we also have telescopes called the Submillimeter Array in Hawaii and we're looking at expanding our, our radio telescope pool and this is really to contribute and lead the next generation Event Horizon Telescope project uh, that has that has been going on here at the CFA. Uh, so, and I, I don't think those will change. We're actually undergoing a big strategic planning exercise at the moment, and we have scientists and uh, engineers and technologists all across the CFA writing white papers and uh, on, on various flagships, telescopes, technology. There's a tremendous amount of energy here for building new technology and for doing research into new technology, and it's it's really great to see. Uh, so those those are key science goals, and then for the organisation as a whole, I really want to see the organisation, um, you know, take the the bull by its horns, so to speak, of Astro twenty twenty, and to you know continue to lead in that area. And so for us to continue to lead, it's really about you know hiring the best astronomers and also a diverse range of astronomers, and and it's all about you know retaining astronomers and so as an organization it's there's a lot of on the ground management and responsibility and creating a culture where people want to want to stay and want to contribute and they want to contribute in many different ways to the organization and this is something that we're we're actively working on now because you know COVID has really um, led to a lot of people working from home and so the the aim is to bring people back and to really create recreate what we had before the the scientifically rigorous and vigorous environment where people can share ideas and build new collaborations and and uh, and and win you know major grants uh, to build fabulous technology and do fantastic science lisa You've been known throughout your career for being a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion in science, and you touched on that as part of the uh, your goals at the CFA. This I don't know if the U.S. context is different, um, but I wonder if you can share a little bit about what your goals and what you see as some of the the work ahead and opportunities for the CFA in in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Yeah, so. My my personal philosophy and values in diversity is that scientific organisations and academic organisations should really be representing the general population. And so the US community is very diverse. Um, it has a different um, diversity pool than we had in Australia. And and I really think that, that we need to be reflecting that full range of diversity that we have in the general US population. And so, you know, there's work to be done uh, in order for us to be reflecting the full diversity that we have in the general population. And there's work to be done in many different areas. And that includes, you know, really engaging scientists and educators to help improve the pathways and the opportunities and the possibilities for people from uh, underrepresented and underprivileged backgrounds. And so this is this is work that, that we're going to be doing here at the CFA. We've, we're currently advertising for an associate director internal relations, which part of that role will be working uh, on, on building diversity and also culture and inclusion these all go together um, you can't have a diverse population without supporting your diverse population and, and making the 
culture feel inclusive and supportive. And so you need to introduce a range of initiatives um, which, which can provide that type of culture. And so this is something that we're actively working on here at the CFA. And, and, it, also, and it also means going out into schools and, and also offering projects and, um, you know, mentoring. And so there's a range of activities that we're going to be doing over time and we'll be building them up over time. So, Lisa, I wanted to maybe hear a little bit more about your journey to the Center for Astrophysics. This is one of the most uh, largest and most influential uh, centers of activity in the field. Maybe can you just tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to the CFA? Yeah, so um, I was a PhD student in Australia and I became a, a CFA fellow, a postdoc at the CFA from 2001 to 2004. And then I spent the next uh, several years in Hawaii. I joined the faculty there. And then in 2011, I I moved back to Australia. And after uh, a few years, I became director of of a large centre of excellence in Australia. And that was, it was my vision and I put it together. And it was only four years into that centre of excellence um, that the CFA directorship was advertised and I actually wasn't looking for jobs at the time. Uh, I was very happy in Australia with the centre of excellence. I'd done leadership roles in the past, associate director uh, type roles and so I'd by that time I'd already done about 10 years of, of leadership and the centre of excellence was, was going very well. we we just hit 50-50, 50% women in the centre, which was a is a first for a centre of excellence in in astrophysics or or indeed in the physical sciences worldwide. And uh, the centre was was operating very well, and so it 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 wasn't on really on my radar. And however, the um, I I in the end, um, I think it was you, John, who contacted me and. Um, and got it onto my radar and uh, in the end I I had a really really nice meeting with the search committee and the search committee basically expressed how excited they would be if I applied and and I talked to them about the sorts of things that I would be interested in implementing at the CFA and it sounded like a good match and I read through there was a very good description a very comprehensive description of what they were looking for in a director and and it it seemed like a really great match you know it's not often that you find a, a great match between you know a person and the role right off the bat and I, I got so excited by the position and uh, I, I developed a vision for it. I presented the vision to the staff um, during the interview process. And, and by the time that process was finished, I was so excited by the vision and by the organisation, by what it had become in the, the years uh, between when I was a postdoc here and um, joining here uh, this year in 2022 that that in I felt like it was the best job in the world and and that it would be you know tremendous honor and a tremendous opportunity to to lead the center for astrophysics particularly right now as we move into the the next decade where we're going to be uh, building and contributing to the next generation of ground and space-based telescopes it's just a tremendously exciting time 
and and I found the the discussions with the staff here really rewarding. They were very open uh, and also very very supportive and um, and engaging. And I really enjoyed that as well. And I thought that it would be a great a great organisation to to lead and a great organisation to work at. And you know, excellent group of people to work with. Wonderful. Well, I think the. When I called you, again, you were in Australia, and, and science is a very global enterprise, with coll- particularly in your field, collaborations that span the entire world. Um, but I wonder what you were thinking about in terms of relocation to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, that's a big move from Australia. It was a big move, um, and I hadn't anticipated moving from Australia to the U.S. again, we, my, my family and I were well settled in Australia and uh, we, we when we moved back to Australia from the US the first time we'd been in the US for 10 years we moved back to Australia uh, we'd been there and back in Australia for 10 years and, and when we moved back to Australia this we felt this was it, it you know we would be uh, we would be in Australia and my career would be in Australia uh, so it, it was really just the opportunity for the job that that uh, made us consider the move and to do the move and and I think it's a, it's been really great for the family for the kids in particular to experience America and living in the US and also the school system here they settled in very quickly and um, which is fantastic um, they were born in America actually they were born in Hawaii so. It's actually good, I think, for them to have experience living in Australia as well as in in the US because they are they are American and Australian, and so it was a it's a great experience for our family. And um, Boston, of course, is a is a really nice city to live in as well. Wonderful. So, Lisa, as a layperson, non scientist but very curious and interested in the developments in astronomy. Can one engage with programs at the CFA or or what other kinds of things might we follow to outside of the, the uh, public media where we can stay informed about developments in the field? Yeah, absolutely. So the CFA website um, has uh, our, our major press releases and any discoveries that are being made and um, that's updated very, very regularly. We also have the Chandra uh, X-ray Centre, and they are publishing press releases and and outreaches. They've got a really fantastic Twitter and uh, so other social media presence. Uh, and then it also, if you have if you're in a school, um, and we have programs for schools, and so we have a program called the Micro Observatory, where students can actually obtain observations on on telescopes remotely and then use them for science projects. And so there's a lot of opportunities here. Well, Lisa, thank you for taking this time to be with us today. It's wonderful reconnecting with you after the search and hearing about your career and the future ahead for the CFA under your leadership. So I'll turn it back to Rhett to close out the episode. Thank you. Thank you both for that conversation, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Follow along as we continue to celebrate 40 years of impact throughout 2022. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. 
And we'd also invite you to visit IamSearch.com for more information or follow Isaacson Miller on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Isaacson Miller. Isaacson Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacson Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk.